My name is Harold Lance, and I've been involved with ASI for a long time, and specifically in regard to the projects, probably for 15, 20 years or so, uh, the, the projects have been an assignment that I've managed, and so I want to tell you what my observations are over a period of time that might help in your more effectively presenting an application to us for, for uh, funding. Um, let me describe the process that we follow. We, we work from a written application and uh, uh, that's due December 31 at the end of each year. And that's an important date to remember. If you, if you can get the application in on January 2, you can get it in on December 31, you know. And, uh, or we've got all year or months ahead, and, and it's really important to plan on that because uh, we're in a significant time table press after uh, the first of the year to get the applications uh, sorted out and looked over and analyzed before the board meets in mid-February. And that process takes quite a little while. And so we have uh, probably in the last several years been pretty firm about a December 31 deadline. And if, if someone has attempted to send us the materials on December 31 and we don't get them till January 1 on the following Monday or whatever, that's all right. But we, wanna, we, we want those processed in a timely way so that uh, there's an even playing field. And what we do, we get those applications and we'll talk very specifically about them in a moment. We get those applications and carefully go through each one of them. And at the, uh, if there's some questions that comes up to us in the course of looking them over preliminarily, we'll get a hold of you and, and, and get some clarity on whatever may be uncertain in our mind about what the application is. And then they are, the application materials are distributed uh, to the board members, the ASI Missions Inc. Board. It's not the ASI Board, it's the ASI Missions Inc. Board. ASI Missions Inc. is a subsidiary organization of ASI that has as one of its assignments the evaluation and selection of the projects that, that we fund each year. And then it has the responsibility of notifying the uh, applicants, whether they're successful or unsuccessful. And if there are any cleanup things that need to be done uh, before we go to press with our list of, of, of approved applications, it's our responsibility as I Missions Inc. to see to it that that's done. And then uh, we, have a, we have a responsibility in the course of the convention to present the uh, applications that we choose to feature 
in the in the convention, you've noticed that Debbie Young, who talks about the uh, project presentation, the funding presentation, uh, she's doing that on behalf of the uh, ASI Missions Inc. group that does this. And then uh, after the uh, the the convention offering, and and let me just say this that. There's no way that it's unknowable what that offering is going to be. And I would say that probably the most problematic discussion that we have on the board is what's the offering going to be a year ahead or six months ahead? It's not knowable. But we take into consideration when in 2008 when the economic uh, turmoil occurred, uh, we delayed we delayed that year by several weeks or months an announcement of what projects that we were going to approve because we were so uncertain of what the economic impact of the general downfall of the economy was going to be and we ultimately made a call as to what we thought it would be and life went on but then the uh, this year we have 41 or 42 projects that we've approved and they're presented in the course of in the um, program and then we select probably a, a fourth of those to to actually feature with some kind of a a presentation up front to give a flavor of the uh, the projects that we're going to be approving and assuming Assuming the amount of the offering meets the amount of the projected commitment on the projects, uh, we commit to fund those about half by the end of the year, December 31, and the other half sometime before this convention, the, the following convention. Typically, it's done in April to May something like that and so all the last year's approved projects were funded have already been funded fully for the for that time period then asi missions inc has a responsibility to make sure that if you get the money that you account for it so that we know how that money has been spent we ask for a report and pictures and descriptions and whatever is appropriate for uh, uh, substantiating that the funds were used in accordance with what was presented to us. And we require that report before we send out the check for the final report. And then we expect a report from, the, from the, every recipient after that at the conclusion of the project when it's wound down and, and done. Now we don't have the lever. We don't have the lever on the recipients for the second one, but you'd go on the blacklist if you if you wouldn't if you wouldn't report on uh, in an appropriate way. It would ensure that you wouldn't be receiving money next time. So there's a pretty good reason to to not not uh, uh, adequately report. Yes. When do we 
have to start on our project? Do we have to start finally? Well, let me, that's a good question. Um, the, the application that we're interested must be in our office or must be in our computer. It's an online application process. It must be on our computer by December 31. And the, the offering that funds the selected project is taken up in August. We're now taking up the offering on tomorrow for the projects that we approved in our process in February. So we don't get, you know, people come here and some of them put money in the, in the uh, basket and, and some give a promise and some give a check and whatever. And we don't, we don't distribute the money until we have the money. And your question relates to the, the scheduling of the project. If you submit to us on December 31 a project that is going to need money in, in the following two months, in February or March, you're not going to be funded because we don't have the money. So we're looking for projects at least a year ahead because that's where the money comes from. That's when it comes. Now, what... What basically is ASI looking for in projects? In a word, I put it here, we're looking for a successful use of the money. We're, you know, it, we're, we're wanting to make certain that if, if the people came to the convention and gave an offering, toward the projects that we have recommended and selected and, and published, then that, that project has to do something. It has to, it, it can't be frivolous. And essentially what we're looking for is a use of the funds that advances God's cause. Now, we've been doing this for a, a long time, and if, if, we, if we took, a million and a half dollars over the last uh, uh, 10 years, that would be 15 million, wouldn't it? And over the last 20 years, that would be 30 million dollars that have come and gone in this sort of a pro process. And if you add it up, now there's some duplication from, from year to year, but if you added up 30 projects over 10 years, that's 300, and in 20 years is 600. So we've helped with 30 million dollars about five or six hundred projects that have helped to advance God's cause. They have to be Seventh-day Adventist projects. We think that, for instance, we got an application one time that asked for funds to buy the uniforms for a Civil War reenactment program in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Well, it didn't make it, you know. But it... it I think that uh, the people who, who give us money expect and we require that the project will fund a, a, a ministry or the or church entity that uh, supports or is a part of the Seventh Adventist Church. That's fundamental. So let's take a look. The, what we say in A, on the, on the do side, we'll get to the don'ts later, but on the front side, the do side, we want your application completed in English. Now, some of, some of the people who apply 
for funding. They don't speak English. Or they don't write English. And we don't, <laughs> we don't read Spanish. Or we don't read Swahili. Or we don't read Hungarian. And so that may seem frivolous, but uh, we get, we get uh, basic documents and we get applications in another language that we can't read. We're not equipped. We're not equipped to, to translate those. So they need to be in English. And if, you, if the applicant doesn't have English skills, then they need to get those skills from somebody to make sure that when it comes to us, we can read it. We're not going to, we're, we're not going to translate it for you. And one of the other comments we make, we want to see a request and your budget and your items of information in U.S. dollars. If it's in quatches or zelatis or whatever else, it may mean lots to you, but it doesn't mean a thing to us. And so that's really important is that, that uh, when we get the application, we can understand it. Let's look down under B. It says, clearly provide the entity's name. Where are you? Who's in charge? Who? Oh, you didn't, you didn't get paid. Did any of you have a, don't have two sides? Yeah, I'll have two sides. If you don't, I'll give you. Okay, sorry about that. You know, when you pay for copying and it's in a big pile, you think it's, it's all there, but sometimes not. If you, if you don't have a two-sided copy, let me know. Um, we want to know your corporate name. You may be doing business as the Busy Bee Missionaries, but if your corporate name is the Epsilon Society Incorporated, that's what we want to see, DBA, Busy Bee Missionaries. So we know, we know who that organization is because if we check you out, you may, uh, and you just told us Epsilon and you're doing business as Busy Bee, the people we ask about it may not, know who we're talking about. So we want to know the corporate name, the DBA name. We want to know who the, not just the signer, who maybe the president said to, to some department leader, fill us out and send it into ASI. We want to know who the responsible person is and what their authority is within that organization. So, yes. No, no, no. No, no, that does, if, if it is a DBA, then we want to know both the, the proper name and the DBA name, but we're not asking, I mean, that... It could be a committee, Well, uh, in the example, if the New York Conference is making an application for funding, it's the New York Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. That's case, all. Well, in your case, it would be a, we would be looking for a committee authority for the project. And that's really an important thing. We want to know, and I'll tell you a couple of reasons. We want to know who in this organization has authorized this project and signed up to carry it through if it's approved. 
And that's for a couple of reasons. We, we want to be able to know that someone tell, oh no, that was Bill and he's gone and we used the money for the cesspool that we had to fix and so forth. So we want to know that, that the, the managing organization, the, the conference committee, the board of directors, if it's the executive committee, who it is, and that it's the president that signed it and or the general manager so that we have a track for establishing accountability okay then if you if you are a nonprofit organization let me just give you a little short brief on that nonprofit organizations are state related there there is not such a thing in the united states as a national corporation for nonprofit organizations. It doesn't work that way. It's the state of Oregon, the state of Washington, the state of New Hampshire, and they have a process for, for establishing corporate structures within their territory. And we want to see those organizational papers. And the key papers are the Articles of Incorporation, which is the fundamental document that creates you see a nonprofit organization is a new fictitious legal entity it's a person that has in in life recognition by the government and courts and so forth of an organization we want to see the articles we want to see the bylaws and within those bylaws and articles we want to see three very special things four one we want to make sure that if you are a charity that you have been recognized as having a nonprofit tax exempt status, 501c3 in the US, that's a typical designation. If you're a Canadian corporation, we want to see that the, the, the bodies in Canada that approve such things have issued you a certificate of eligibility to declare yourself a charity or something. If you are in overseas, there are a couple of issues there. In some areas of the world, we know that the political situation is such that they may not even have nonprofit organizations. That they may have NGOs, uh, non-governmental organizations that they recognize and authorize to do charitable work. And there's certain elements of accountability. But we want to see in your application, as a part of the application, that you have the authority to function as a charity, a nonprofit organization within your geography, wherever that is. Because it tells us that if you're not recognized where you live, you're not going to be recognized by us either. And so that's really an essential. Within the, within the corporate documents, either the articles or the bylaws, and typically within the bylaws, we're looking for three things. We're looking because we're Seventh-day Adventists and we're spending Seventh-day Adventist dollars. We want to see overtly stated in the articles of incorporation or bylaws that the purpose of this organization, it may be to do good and provide meals for kids and children and whatever else, in support of the Seventh-day Adventist Church mission and message. We want to see something like that, that you are supportive of the Adventist Church. Most of the times, I would say 
many times, unless you've gone through this sort of thing, that your articles and bylaws will not naturally say that because you've copied off of somebody else's secular bylaws and it doesn't include it. Or there may be, in some instances, a deliberate effort not to identify yourself as Seventh-day Adventist because you want to get the Presbyterian uh, rich guy in town to support your corporation and you don't want to have it look too Adventisty. We don't want that. We want to make you, we don't, we want to make you make a choice because our donors expect that dollars that come through ASI go to Seventh-day Adventist supporting organizations. That's who we are. Number two, we want to make sure that all the officers and all the directors must be, we just say officers and directors shall be members in regular standing of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And the last thing that we're looking for along that line is that if, you've, if you fail or cease to function and the organization has to be dissolved, where are the assets going to go? We want to make sure that, your, that your, your bylaws or your articles of incorporation say that in the event of the dissolution of this corporation, something like this, in the event of the dissolution of this corporation, the remaining assets after the payment of all just bills and charges and so forth will go to a Seventh-day Adventist owned or operated uh, charity, authorized charity. So we're looking for that. And I'd have to say that most of the applications, if they're deficient, they're deficient in that regard. They pack them up and they put them in, run them through the computer and scan them and send them to us and let us find that. Look at them beforehand. Read it and change it if you need to. Yes. Yes. Right. You stated if you are a charity, you should be 501c3 uh, qualified. But what I'm reading on the paper is that you don't give to one. We can't. And so I wanted to clarify that if. It, it really shouldn't have been stated as an if. Well, don't worry about my grammar. Okay. Understand it clearly. You're not going to get funded unless you're a qualified 501c3 organization. That's what I thought, but I wanted yeah. to clarify. Yeah. The, the if yeah. It made it yeah. Sound yeah. Well, it isn't. Okay, go ahead. Yes, yes. Um, if you, in the United States, and in any, any um, more sophisticated society, has a process for setting up organizations that have charitable activity, okay? Churches, hospitals, missionary activity, so forth, and that's true in in Europe, and it's true in lots of places, almost every place. There are some areas that they don't, in the Ukraine, I don't think they recognize a, a need for a, a nonprofit organization. But in many, many parts of the world, they provide for a nonprofit organization. And I, as I told you initially, in the United States, that's done in the state, Oregon has their own rules, California has their own rules. And if you get that corporation, you have a corporation, but you don't have nonprofit tax exempt status. And in the US, in order to get that, you must take the further step 
and apply to the Internal Revenue Service for 501c3 tax-exempt status so that when the donors make a contribution to your entity, they get a tax-deductible receipt. And let me tell you, we have more than one example of organizations that solicited money from Seventh-day Adventists, perhaps even here at ASI, and induced a donor to make a contribution, and then that donor got audited, and the auditor said, well, this is not a qualified 501c3 tax-exempt charity, and said, we're going to disallow that. And the donor comes back to ASI and says, look, we uh, made this contribution, and this person was not a tax-exempt entity. We got audited, and we owe the money, and we want you to pay us back. And that's not a happy situation. Okay? All right. Let's go on. Okay. Uh, this is... Sure. Surely. Thank you. Um, the last sentence under B, read your own documents before applying, you know, because uh, we're going to read them. And the documents are, you know, you get, a, you get 15 pages of legalese, and we've got to go down through there looking for Seventh-day Adventists someplace in it, and we know kind of where to look. But if you, let's say you, you discover on uh, December 30, the day before your applications go in, that your, that your corporate documents don't comply that way. Go ahead and send them, but write us a note and say, we know that we're going to have to amend our bylaws to provide for these three things that ASI is looking for the purposes clause, the officers and directors, and the dissolution. Because if you're approved, you won't get on the list and you won't get the money if you don't do it. And it helps us a lot if you will read your own documents and in our application information clearly states that these are requirements. And so it's going to, if you want to get money, it's going to have to happen sometime. And it's a lot better that you know it earlier than later so that you can tell me when you send it in that we have a board of directors meeting set for February 2 or whenever in which we're going to amend the bylaws and add these things. Now, that way we know you're, you're tracking. One of the... One of the things that we're really interested in knowing is who are you? What have you been doing? Why is it that we should carefully consider your application for funding? What, what has been your activity that justifies our going to our membership and our donors and saying support this project? So tell us about yourself. We've been, in, we've been in operation for the last 15 years or whatever it is, and during that time we've, we've established four schools and built two orphanages. and Whatever you've done, whatever it is, don't make it up, but <laughs> tell, 
tell us accurately what it is that your organization has been doing and what the outcome has been so that we have some way of assessing that your credibility and your likelihood of being able to carry through on a project and, and, and make it make sense and, and be a success. Um, there may be a, with people who are just getting started and have never yet done anything, you know, except get their corporate documents. It, you can apply, but we're, I can just tell you that we are, and see whether this makes sense to you. We want to make sure that whoever we give money to carries it through. What is a good predictor of success for next year's project is last year's project or last year's activity or the last 10 years activity. If you have, if you have successfully been running a ministry that has done something that is effective and helpful and helps humanity, spreads the gospel and so forth. Tell us about that. Tell us about the five orphan kids that, that you rescued out of the river and put them through school and they're now medical doctors in Timbuktu. You know, give us, a, give us some sense of, of having a basis of credibility. Yes, your question. Are these three things also what you have to do to become a member of the the question was whether those three things that need to be in your articles and bylaws, the same requirements that's necessary to become an ASI member, and the answer to that is yes. And I would say that uh, we get 70, 50 to 70 new applications into ASI every year, and about maybe a third of those or half of those are nonprofits, and half of those haven't given it a thought. And uh, we have come to the conclusion that these things are important. And so we're not going to fund you and we're not going to allow you into membership unless you are willing to, to uh, make your organization a Seventh-day Adventist supportive organization. And that's a choice. We don't say you have to do that, but if you're going to get funding from us or if you're going to be an ASI member, it, it will be a requirement. And we think that our, our uh, donors want that, yes. Yes. How would ASI look on a situation where a, a ministry has been operating, but as they look to expand, one of their programs has become big enough on its own to become its own entity. And so setting up in this process, splitting that one thing off, become its own. Would looking back at what it did as the joint entity be the appropriate way to present that? The, uh, the question is in if, a, if an applying entity has had a history of success in one aspect and now that, one, that aspect of the ministry wants to branch off into its own, would the remaining ministry or the new ministry be appropriate for them to tell us that story? of success and activity. Sure, we want to see that. Uh, ASI 
wants to fund winners. Does that make any sense? Uh, and, and I realize, I realize that for the little ministry getting started, and, and it's not an easy thing, and it costs a lot of money, to, uh, or a lot of effort and a lot of skill, to get a properly organized charity up and running. Uh, and sometimes people, and I would say probably five, maybe 10% of the applications we get are organizations who have not yet established any kind of a meaningful track record. And I can tell you the likelihood that they will get funding from us is not good. And that may, that may seem unfair or harsh or whatever, but uh, it is important that we, it's important that we spend the money and maybe somebody else, you know, everybody can do something towards getting their ministry operation going. Uh, we get, and it, let's just go on. Uh, it's one thing it's one thing to to get donor money in and spend it out and take care of getting rid of all the money that you get in it's another thing to accomplish something isn't it and uh, sometimes we get applications and we look at the bylaws and look at the, the application carefully to see what the remuneration is for those who are involved. Typically speaking, board members are not remunerated for their service as a board member. But if they are employed as an officer or a worker, then that's a different matter. Sometimes... Sometimes the bylaws provide for some rather handsome remuneration for the, uh, the leaders. And they've not done anything. And anything that would, might be expected to be received is first going to go into their pocket. Count on it. That kind of operation will probably not be funded. Let's go on. Uh, to E. If... If you're, why it's so important, why it's so important for you to give us background and history and accomplishment and purpose is that if you're asking, uh, we don't fund a lot of vehicles, but let's just use that for an example. If you're going to, if we're going to be asked to fund, fund a van, the purchase of a vehicle or a van or a pickup truck or whatever it happens to be, that's meaningless unless it is it described on how it's going to be used. And so we know all about how vans are used. They, they drain money and, and they cost a lot. But how is, it going to, how is it going to enhance the ministry that, that you're talking about? Because the van in itself is a, is a secular item, isn't it? It's not... It doesn't have any missionary purpose unless the driver is using it for a missionary purpose. So, but we want to know, if you're going to build a dormitory, we want to know what the size of that dormitory is. We want to know some idea of, of how much it's going to cost per square foot because over a period of time, we get applications for lots of dormitories. 
and they can either cost $200 a square foot or $100 a square foot, or if they're, if they're using student labor and staff labor, it may cost $50 a square foot. So we want to know how big the, the, the structure is that you're wanting to build, what its projected cost is, and, and enough about it and how that's going to fit into how that's going to fit into the overall program that you have that you've just described. So, and that, the actual description of the project, we want to know how much money, what is it, give it enough description so that we can assess some kind of sense of, of how to measure its outcome and how it's going to be used. One of the other things that really interests us is who else is interested in this? If the worst case is that we get an application from somebody who's never done anything yet and has in mind that we're going to fund all of the startup costs and provide uh, salaries, for, and this is not imaginary, and provide salaries for the three or four leaders that are getting started, and uh, they expect us to do that. It's not going to be approved. You know that. If you, if you send us an application that says, we have on hand, the project is a $25,000 project, and we have on hand $5,000, and this is going to be something that our students and staff or whatever are going to sacrificially support with another $2,000. And they're going to put on the roof, or they're going to dig the footings, or they're going to... They're, who, else is, who else has skin in the game, you know? What other, uh, what other donor is willing to trust you and put in money? That's meaningful to us because it says somebody else looking at this project says it's worthy. And that's, uh, that is important to us because if somebody else has looked at it and says it's worthy, that's a make-weight towards our more likelihood of, of uh, approving it too. We want to know, does it have any evangelistic? What will be the outcome of it? How, how is this going to help you carry out your purposes and carry on or to expand your ministry or or whatever, whatever it is, tell us about, make sure that we can understand from the words you put down how it's going to enhance what you're doing. Now under F, we've touched on this a little bit, but uh, ha have any of you looked over the 41 or two projects that are in the in the? And uh, there's probably one or two or, or a small number that are as much as $100,000, right? Okay, there are one or two. And over the years, I would say that as we have, as we have increased the number of the projects that we support, coincidentally, the amount that we fund for projects average has gone down because the total amount of the projected offering is about the same. And so, 
uh, I know that in next year's applications, I'll receive a project that will request a million or two. Now, which is the easiest project for us to decide what to do? In, in something like that? There is no way, uh, I'll, I'm not going to name names, but there's a, an organization that we have helped, I would say, several times anyway, that does tremendous good work. And typically the projects that we have funded for them are between maybe fifteen and thirty thousand dollars over a period of years. A few years ago, they sent in an application to us asking for multiple millions. And we called them and talked to them. We said, look, you know, we've got 101 other projects and uh, we've funded you several occasions and we would like to seriously consider some aspect of your program, but this multiple million dollar project is, uh, is uh, not realistic. We had that conversation. They said to us, the Lord's coming soon and our board believes that uh, we ought to think big and that uh, that's where we are. So what'd they get that year? Got it, huh? So, you know, we don't have the capacity to meet every decent and worthwhile and good project that comes to us. We don't have the capacity. And if you know how, if you know how to raise our capacity in there tomorrow, let us know. But so uh, sometimes we get sometimes we get projects that maybe maybe two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand. Something like that, and it may be really good, and and that there's maybe bona fide information to support the need for that kind of money, but it's not going to come from us. We can't do it. And if we conclude, and we look at it this way, if if we fund, let's say someone asks us for in a three hundred thousand dollar request. And we say, well, we think we could go $50,000 on this project. But what will that do to the project? How will they manage the other $250,000? And if that answer, if that question is not answered, then we're not going to give them the 50 because it, we, don't want, we don't want to have completed whatever. And that makes sense, doesn't it? That if, if we induce somebody by giving them a little bit of money and they say, well, in our great faith, we're going to go forward and have a foundation, but nothing else, it doesn't make, that, that doesn't honor God's name, does it? I don't think so. Okay, let's... Uh, we typically fund... A is, there is no there is no arbitrary percentage of church projects. 
church-related projects. And by church-related, I mean they're all Seventh-day Adventists in the broad sense of the term, church-related. But church entities. The, I go to the Linwood, I live here in Spokane, I go to the Linwood Seventh-day Adventist Church. And we need carpet downstairs in our basement for our, our community service room really bad. You think we'll fund that? No. We think that a local church and a local conference take care, takes care of usual, ordinary, we're not going to fix the roof, we're not going to remodel the foyer, we're not going to add air conditioning, you know, it's not going to happen. If a, if a conference comes to us, if a conference comes to us and asks us to, if there's some uh, innovative project and there's one project on your, your list this year of a, a Native Amer American school up in Canada that is very unique, very needed, and very symbolic, we've put some money into that, not lots, not nearly what was asked for, not nearly what's needed, but we wanted, to, we wanted to show some evidence of support. This helps donors, excuse me, this helps ministries and organizations parlay if ASI thought it was important and worthy, then maybe someone else will. And we, we, know, we know that uh, kind of symbiotic uh, connection that would help. But... Uh, for any entity, we're looking, church entity and lay entity, we're looking for some special uh, possibility of something significant and unique happening. Now, if you've been an ASI follower for some time, uh, and I could go down and uh, over the list, and I'm not going to, but I could, and tell you which ones have been funded before. We do fund some, and the reason we do is that we like to go with winners. We don't want failures. We wanna, we wanna know that the people who get the money, they promptly report to us and spend the money like they were asked to do and can, and can show us afterwards that that was a good, that was a good choice. Number 10 down here, if you have no track record, it's unlikely we're, we'll provide money. If you, if you say to us, you know, we have this property and we haven't had a stipend, we haven't had a stipend or we haven't had payroll for four months and we're in effect failing, but if you would bail us out, we could, we know we could make it now because the bad guys are gone and you know the story. We're not going to do that. We're not going to fund that kind of thing. Let's look at the don'ts over on the other side. By the way, uh, who knows our stop time? Three? Okay, thank you. We've, we've covered this before. Number one, don't ask for millions. You know, it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. And sometimes we've touched on this a little bit before, and is that someone says to us, "Oh, I don't know, uh, give us whatever you think's okay." 
we don't want that. We want you to say, we want $12,000 or we want a, a million two or whatever you, whatever you want to say. That's what we want. We're not, it, it's a real, and sometimes we'll probably get one or two applications this next year from people who say, oh, I don't know, anything will help. You know, and, and that's, that's not good. That's, that depreciates the, the um, quality of the application. Another thing is that sometimes there's kind of two extremes. We get an application process that, that is maybe has 10% of the needed or expected information. And then sometimes we get applications, particularly that are filled out by professional fundraisers, that go on for page after page after page of the same boring, repetitious stuff that no one can read, and they expect us to read it. And so, make sure the application is complete, that it's coherent, that we understand a little bit of bad punctuation, we can get by that, but tell us the story. Tell us why it is that it is that so that we can pass on, so that we can pass on in a meaningful way to our constituency why this organization is worthy, why we should, uh, why the money should go to where it's going to go. So make sure the application is complete. And maybe some of you weren't in when we touched on it before. If you speak a foreign language, translate your documents. I can, if, sometimes you can tell by the stamps, you know, that's, in third world situations, stamps are a great thing. You know, an ink stamp here, an ink stamp there, and to indicate that the government has approved it and so forth. It doesn't mean a thing to us if we can't read it. So, uh, that, maybe that applies to just a few of you, but it, it certainly does apply. Is there any misunder... Yes? Let's say um, you get a, a grant for, for um, building project. Sure. Once a person or the entity receives that check, how long do they have to actually start the project? Is there a time frame? Well, they tell us in the application when they're going to. Uh, you raise an interesting question. Um, sometimes things become impossible. We know that. The, uh, the, you thought you could get a permit from the county to build a building, and you can't get the permit by any, anything you've done. And, and we'll say... Okay, keep us, let us know. Maybe the clerk will die and a new one will come and give you the permit or, or whatever it happens to be. But uh, at some point, if the project becomes impossible, it can become impossible for a lot of reasons. You couldn't raise the other 300,000. That's one. You have an incompetent leadership and they won't leave. And you can't throw them out. You, you can't get it because they're outside forces. There's apostasy in the camp. I mean, it can be lots of reasons. And uh, we're tolerant about that. But we want to know what's going on. If, if somebody 
if someone's project is delayed, write and tell us. It's delayed because, or they say, uh, we can't, we can't do, we were going to build a girl's dormitory, we can't do that uh, because of, we can't get a permit, but we can add on to the administration building, or we can build a bathroom set for the boys or whatever. And we'll, we'll ask you questions about that and take a look at it, and, and if it makes sense that it enhances the, the, uh, the outcome of the project, we'll probably approve it. If, it. if it goes on and on, and sometimes it does, at some point in time we say that, uh, you know, if you guys don't get this thing done in the next year, we'll give you another 12 months to get it off the ground and, and so forth, then we're going to redirect it. And in your offering, probably in, the, uh, probably in the program and certainly on the offering envelope, it says that ASI reserves the right to redirect the funds if, it, if it's a failed project. And we're not, if we approve your project to begin with, that's the project we want to see go through. And the timetable that, that you put in there, we ask that question because when is this going to be? And, and probably we'll get a half a dozen applications this year that they need the money this year. What's going to happen? We can't give it to them this year. And so they're not going to be funded. And so you tell us when the project is going to be. And then that's what we'll be guided by. And if you can't do it, tell us. And we'll be, we'll be understanding and tolerant, and, and, but at some point in time, we're either going to do the project as it was presented, or we're going to keep the money and, and redirect it to something else. I'm sorry? Yes. Okay, the question is, well, what if, what if it turns out that the project initially intended was, uh, was not feasible? What do we do? And that's kind of what we've, uh, if, if, what you, if what you're now wanting to do is something that makes sense in terms of your overall uh, uh, ministry activity, we're likely to approve it. If it's, uh, well... We can't build the girls' dormitory, but we sure need to have the cesspool pumped. We're not going to do that. So it's going to have to be, we're going to look at it in terms of your initial application. Yes? We couldn't get a landing permit, which we've been working on, and hopefully... We granted fifty thousand, yeah, but it didn't happen. And so we, sent, we wanted to send the money back. We said no, hang on to it for another year. Yeah. And in the meantime, submit us a, a repurposed yeah. um, application. Yeah. And you refunded it for yeah. a large. Yeah, just so that we have on the record, there's the uh, report was that there was an occasion where one of our self-supporting schools could not proceed because of some land use uh, restrictions and they proposed to send the money back and we said to hang on to it and think about a proper repurposing and we did that and you got your money and it was that yeah, we're not we're not trying to say oops 
and you lost it. That's not our purpose. We want to, if we've selected you, if we've selected you, it is partly that project, it's partly the credibility of the organization and our assessment of the bona fides of the, of the organization, that, that we're, what we're really looking at. Let me talk to you another thing about board of directors. This is something. Uh, we look at your board. We ask you to tell us who they are. And we point out the people that we may have, we may have some contact or knowledge about. And that's important because it's kind of like who else, who else is going to put money into this project? And in, a, in the same sense, who else is serving on this board that is credible, responsible, loyal, and has good sense that we can uh, hope will assist a, a project to, to be successfully completed. If you, uh, I notice this in, in new ministries sometimes, the founders are often uneasy about getting uh, organizations started and then have the board throw them out. And so the other side of that is they create bylaw provisions to ensure that they may have life tenure or that, they, or that the founders can never be thrown out or that they populate the board with three people, a father and a mother and a son or variation a daughter. You know, it, it, if we're looking for a meaningful board that has a balance of people and skills and credibility that because the ultimate, because the ultimate responsibility for the management of a, a corporation is the board of directors. And so I'm uneasy. I, uh, let me tell you how the Catholic Church functions. The Catholic Church functions through a very unique kind of organization called a corporate soul. And the corporate soul is a corporation with one person. And that's the bishop or the, somebody within their hierarchy. The one person, they don't have boards of directors, they don't have constituencies, they don't have any of that. It's by a corporate soul. When I was a lawyer, I sued the Catholic Church on, in an automobile accident, and I looked it up and found out how they did. Well, we have one ASI member who functions in a corporate soul relationship, the only one I know. If it's one or two people or three people, and they all have the same last name, that's approaching a corporate soul. And I'm uneasy with that. I want to see, I want to see a balanced board that may include some family members, but... That, that shows a, an ability to work together. If you have to control your board by having your wife on or your, or your, your child or whatever, that's a, that's a clue to me that it's not real strong. Well, yes. Well, you know, we are a yes. Treasurer, and they cannot be related or have the same last name. Well, the, the, comment, the comment was that you, your officers, your president, secretary, and treasurer, 
uh, can't have the same last name, can't be related. Uh, I'm not talking about a legal requirement. I'm not talking about a legal, because I'm not going to give you any advice about that. Because each state has its own rules related to that. I'm telling you about common sense. That if you have a board made up of all family, it's like having a husband and wife on the same board. You got one vote, and, uh, you got two votes and one mind. You know, it's not good. There was a question back here someplace, I thought. Okay. Okay, go ahead. Okay, let me, I, the, the question relates to a multifaceted project where you're going you're gonna to put in a new road, you're going to build a building, you're going to buy a van, you're going to, and we get that. And I would rather you put that all in one application and tell us clearly, here's A, B, C, and D, and we'll look at it. And we may not, uh, we're not likely to fund A, B, C, and D, but if we're going to fund anything, we may select you choose between A and B or whatever. We may say it's only C that we're going to fund. And, and uh, uh, that's better than giving us four separate applications. Okay? Okay, that's a, the question was, is your, what is the impact of being or not being an ASI member in terms of the application process? We fund, we fund many projects where they are not ASI members. We do. But the question I ask is, why not? Why aren't you an ASI member? And if you are an ASI member, for instance, you may be a church entity. And if you're a ch church entity, you can't be an ASI member. By definition, it's a lay organization. But if you're a ministry, if you're a ministry and you're, uh, asking us for money and you come to our conventions and rent a booth and solicit from our our population why aren't you an ASI member and uh, 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 having said that we have funded and there are probably several in our list today in which they are not ASI members it's a make weight to be an ASI member I mean figure it out uh, we have an ASI member we know and we've already vetted them and processed them. We have some confidence in them. We know the church supports them. Yes. I think our time is going to be up with this question. I have a foundation. The name of my foundation is... No, you, you asked me a question. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I have a question. Okay, please. And uh, we just actually... I just filled up an application. We had debate. We had been debating whether we were going to be members of... Yeah. Yeah. But just only before the general conference session, yes. I persuaded the members to become an ASI member. Yeah. And I filled up actually the application that was in the uh, website. Okay. And I and I sent it by, uh, by mail. Yeah. I have not received any word from them, but when we were driving from Keene, Texas to here, I received an, uh, a, a message on Facebook that I still needed. Uh, requirements, some the, the, the constitution and policies, as well uh, as well as yeah. the articles of incorporation and uh, possibly the employer's identification number. Yeah. Now, I'm planning to do that when I get back 
uh, to Kim next week. But my question is that who is the bona fide member of that foundation? You mean of? Well, we're just because you have to have somebody, we're looking to the president. The question was in an application for uh, membership or an application for funding, we want to know the we want to know the key person. And if the board of directors has elected someone as president, that's the person we're going to look to. If he's delegated to the campus manager to fill out the application, I want to know both of them. Okay? Well, I want, to, I want to have somebody that I can call. Someone signs their name on the application. That's the person that I'm going to call and talk to and the one I'm going to hold responsible if they don't do what they've agreed to do. So I'm looking for, I'm not looking for 10 people to be responsible. I'm looking for one person to be responsible because I don't want to chase them down. Oh, no, no, that's not my job. That's his job and so forth. So. <laughs> no, they're not. The membership, in, the question is, are board members qualified to be members of ASI? The answer is no. The membership of an organizational member in ASI is the organization, not the person. Now, who is going to be representing them? That's your... Uh, the, we don't organize. The question is, who's going to appoint them? We don't organize a member application's application. You do that. You tell us. And we want to know, since we know that under law, the board of directors is responsible for all of the operations of the corporation. If they've chosen a president, that's who we want to know. If the president has said, I have the general manager doing it, we want to know that. So that when trouble comes, and trouble every now and then comes, we want to know who it is that we can call up and say, we haven't gotten your report. We don't want to hear, well, the board member was supposed to do that. We want to know who signed that application. That's who we're going to look to. Okay, that's it. Blessings to you. And I tell you what, I'm looking forward to some good applications coming out of this room. Thank you for coming. Blessings to you. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.